Hi, welcome to Commercial Real Estate Eyes Wide Open Podcast. I'm Ann Hambly, the host, and I'm very honored to have today with me on this podcast, Garrick Brown. Garrick is, uh, I would say, uh, how to describe him as really a renegade researcher, a guru in the in, in the industry. His primary focus has been on retail, um, where he's worked for, gosh, most of the major brokerage firms, and he's a speaker commonly in uh, in the retail area. So uh, welcome, Garrick, and let me let you give a better background on what you're doing today and, and all that. And what a, what a, what a joy. Uh, you know, I've been, if you're involved in any sort of analytical work or commercial real estate, you have, you have to pay attention to the CMBS market. And you're the queen of that. So I've been following you for a long time. It's a deep honor that you've invited me on. Uh, so, so I'm a guy that goes back into this industry uh, to the mid nineties. I was a generalist research analyst at first. Um, I quickly found my footing uh, in the mid two thousands, really honing in and focusing on retail. Uh, doesn't mean that I don't understand the other food groups and certainly, you know, What's surprising, even to me, okay, <laughs> after the challenges of the last few years for retail, that I could actually sit here one day down the road and say, wow, retail is not the most challenged food group anymore. <laughs> yeah. I, I pinch myself all the time with that. Um, that being said, you know, it's not like everything's uh, sunshine and lollipops out there. You know, we, we, we have all of these uh, recessionary concerns that I think in the marketplace, you know, to me, one of the most interesting things is, is, you know, it's all coming down to the inflation rate and the Federal Reserve response to that, uh, which has created a very bizarre dynamic because... Every time, right now, we get an amazing jobs report, it actually sends the markets tanking because they're, they're so fearful of a further interest rate hike. Mm -hmm. And we have gotten the most crazy economic indicators of all time in the last three years. Uh, you know, COVID has been absolutely unprecedented. Um, from the potential global depression that every world economy was facing early on, if they were going to respond to this global health pandemic, to the amazing amounts of stimulus pumped in by every central bank. Now, in the U.S. alone, we put $7 trillion into the economy. Uh, about three trillion was stabilizing the stock market by buying bonds from uh, the treasury. Uh, so we saw the stock market tank. If you look at uh, the Wilshire 5000, which is an index that looks at all of the major global indices, the, uh, the NASDAQ, um, the Dow Jones, uh, the Nikkei, you know, all, all of these around the world. In the first six weeks of the pandemic hitting North America, $7 trillion was lost in value. A collapse that was even greater 
adjusted for inflation than Black Friday, 1929. I didn't realize that. Wow, that's huge. Now, we, uh, of course, we weren't the only country, which is why we're not the only country dealing with massive inflationary issues, is that the Canadian national banks, uh, the the UK, uh, the EU, we all pumped trillions into our economies. Half of it was to keep our markets afloat, right? Because if the market sees up, and this is the hard thing for a lot of folks to understand, is if the market sees up, you're all out of a job. Is it propping up the rich guys? Yeah, it is. Okay, but but we also put $4 trillion in direct aid. It was ham-handed. It took a while. I mean, that's why, like, if you look at the restaurant industry, you know, the average restaurant, if, if there's such a narrow margin business that we, you know, we saw record failures on that front. And that by the time the money was falling by September, October, it was too late for many. But what we saw in the stock market is, is we saw that $7 trillion loss being regained by August 2020. And then it blew up even further because if you put all this money into the market, direct stimulus to individuals, direct stimulus to businesses, suddenly they had this cushion and it went nuts. Like the stock market shot up 50% more than where its average was prior. And that wasn't just for Peloton. It wasn't just for <laughs> Amazon, right? It wasn't just for mm-hmm. the companies that benefited from pandemic experiences. And now we're this whiplash, it's like we're coming back to normal. Yeah. I do think if we don't have a recession this year, this is the year that normalcy returns. But, you know, if, if you look at uh, the National Association of Business Economists, which is the stink tank of all the top guys, I wish I got invited. I'm not. But, <laughs> you know, Goldman Sachs, uh, like all the top guys, the Blackstone people, the, uh, the Coke people, the, I mean, every industry, you know, it's, it's about a hundred players and they do these surveys. In October of last year, 80% of them said we were either in a recession now or we would be imminently. And they did that poll again in early January and it's 51%. That think we are in a recession now or, or will be? Or it's imminent. And the big shift is, is that we went from a 9% inflation rate in June, that the Fed's moves have been working, and it's now in the sixes, the low sixes, as of January. And on top of that, and this is the big question mark, the labor market hasn't slowed. Uh, the labor market actually... Now, now, here's the thing about the Department of, uh, of Labor. They, they'll report unemployment numbers about two weeks after the month had just ended, right? Mm-hmm. There's a report that I have found way more interesting that they do, but it lags by a month. It's called the JOLTS report, which is the Job Openings and Labor Turnover Report. Mm-hmm. And the latest available is 
from uh, from December, and literally what we we saw is that job openings shot up from ten point five million to eleven million in the U.S. And why this is critical is that the most they, they've kept these numbers since two thousand. The most job openings in the United States that they ever tracked were March of last year at 11.9 million. Prior to the pandemic, the average of any given year at any given time was 6 million. And we shot back up to 11 million. We cannot slow this job market down, period. And so that is one of... I think the factors for economists in raising their outlooks. But the flip side of this is, is that even with inflation having turned a corner and coming down, if the job market remains too hot, inflation might go right back up. And this is what's spooking the markets where every time, you know, we're through the looking glass at this point where you know, if you want to see, if you want to see the interest rates go back down, you need to see awful economic data. Keep getting good economic data. Mm -hmm. Now, interest rates uh, are where they're at. Inflation seems to have turned a corner, but you know, a lot of that's the, the initial spike in energy prices just added to the previous woes of uh, supply and chain disruption. And, you know, I mean, look, you can't put $7 trillion into the economy. You put all that money into the economy, just think about it from a supply-demand perspective, right? Mm -hmm. Which is suddenly there's a lot more money to buy the same level of goods. So the price of goods raises. And $7 trillion? Let's put it in perspective. If you adjusted for inflation, what we spend on World War II—that's five point five trillion. Wow! Yeah. So amazing. We're in like the craziest economic time of all time because I don't think that there's past guideposts that really tell us where we're going to go because everything's been yeah. an outlier. Yeah, it's so different. Absolutely. So you being in, in focused. I know you you do all you work on all property types and you have sure. opinions on all property types, but um, have you seen what do you when you said I think starting out retail right now is one of the not so horrible property types. <laughs> Let me just word it that way. I forgot your exact words. Well, wh where do you where do you see the current issues? What property type do you see most current issues? It's in? It's, it's, it's clearly office, and it and okay, it's, yeah. it is. It is the concern over hybrid work from home, yeah. uh, remote work. Now, now, I see some parallels between, if you look at what happened with retail over the last 20 years, it was digital disruption. Okay. It was, yeah. it, it was, if you're in retail, there are three reasons that people shop at your store. There are three, three reasons why people go to your shopping center. They're either going, for an experience, right, which is kind of the rare shopping center or it's the elevated retailer, or they're going for discount. Boom, 
proliferation yeah. of dollar stores everywhere, uh, the mass market superstores with great pricing, all, yeah. all of that. The middle places where the problem was was physical retail, which was convenience. Yeah. And, 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 mm. and for me, I look at it like, like, look, I love Banana Republic. I'm a Gen Xer. I like my khakis. You know, I, mm-hmm. I, I, I came along. If you look at, say, a company like The Gap at their peak in the early 2000s, across all their concepts, they were going to be in every mall in the United States. They're going to have 2,000 to 2,200 mm-hmm. locations. They were going to be convenient to you as a consumer. And maybe worse because my generation sucks. Gen X, we are so uncreative. We, we wanted homogeneity. Like we loved the idea that that gap in Portland, Maine and Portland, Oregon, mm-hmm. I knew what I was going to get. Yeah. Yeah. Well, along comes e-commerce and there's nothing more convenient than ordering yeah. while you're sitting on your couch. Right. Right. Doesn't mean that those concepts uh, didn't have value or worth. It's just that they didn't need those giant fleets right. of stores, and they needed they needed to a get involved in e-commerce and b shrink those footprints. Right. So retail apocalypse becomes a storyline, 2013 onward, until we actually hit the pandemic when it really was a retail apocalypse. Yeah, yeah. I've always said COVID just accelerated what was already happening in retail, which, oh, right, and... and Yeah. Yeah, and Including I love how demise, you... you know, demise. Yeah. I mean, right. we saw record closures and bankruptcies, but the thing is, everybody who made it through... Yeah. For the most part, for the most part, because... There's still been some notable retail bankruptcies early this year. Mm-hmm. Look, I love Bed Bath & Beyond. They were on yeah. a bankruptcy list before COVID. Party uh, City, bankruptcy list yeah. before COVID. Tuesday morning, yeah. already declared bankruptcy before COVID. Like they're in the 22 club where it's chapter 22. It's second time around. <laughs> that's I didn't is that a real thing or <laughs> that's pretty good <laughs> uh, I'm coming up with it <laughs> okay that's good I like hey, it. Well, I, hey, I hey, don't like worry it. Yeah. There, there's yeah. been some buffet chains you know and poor yeah. buffets because <laughs> COVID yeah. killed them but there's been some buffet chains in chapter 33 right, right? <laughs> oh, <laughs> uh, wow. yeah yeah okay <laughs> but yeah but the, the thing is you also saw this acceleration of e-commerce now, the one thing that drove me nuts about the markets is, is that so much of the stock market speculation was that COVID changes would never come back to Earth. Peloton is amazing, okay? Right. They have a place at the table. Their problems today are not their concept. Their problems were investor expectations that you're going to take over the world and we're never going to go back to health clubs again. Yeah. That was right. stupid. Yeah. Um, anyways. So let me ask you if you, before you go too, too much further. So, uh, so retail, I, I, I 
hear you and I, I love your, I love how you categorize them. I've never seen it done into experiential, you know, discount and in the middle's the convenience and the convenience are the, really the ones that are being hit the most. So it was already in place, this switch on retail pre-COVID, COVID just accelerated it. I think you agreed with that, right? It did. And then, and if you were in that middle category, yeah, A, you had to shrink your footprint and B, your, your, your strongest way to compete would be to raise consumer experience, yeah, become experiential, yeah, or go discount, but right. discounting is a matter of yeah. scale. Right, right, like, right. Yeah, nobody can eat with the buying power of a Walmart. Right, don't right. don't yeah. even try. It's a lot easier to invest in oh things that maybe used to be commonplace in the nineteen eighties, like actual real customer service. <laughs> yeah, oh, that's it, that's it, long. Yeah, that's long you, gone. You know, right. they, they, yeah, market, yeah. Market yeah. pressures made people eliminate these things right. over time as if they didn't matter. And yeah. they do I know. They do matter. Absolutely. So but, let's go back. Yeah, let's go back sorry. to office. No, 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 no. Sorry. We're, we just both have so much to say, right? <laughs> um, <laughs> that's why I started this podcast. So I could, you know, get all this out, right? So let's say, take office. I love your perspective. So I agree with you that right now office is struggling the most because of from what I see and you don't have to be that uh smart to see that because it's just right in front of us all the time it's because of I think the long-term effect of COVID and the hybrid work arrangement but probably it started before then too so talk to me about how the digital disruption affected office if it did pre-COVID or did it oh well no I mean if you I don't think it did pre-COVID Okay. I, I yeah. don't, but I, I also think that the digital disruption hitting office doesn't have a growing 20 year time span that retail had. I, I, however, I'll say this about retail in the pandemic. It was as if the ugly bandage got ripped off by going through all of our pain at once. I do think the office is going through that. But there's some major differences. And and for me, the big one is, is that in retail, digital disruption happens and you don't have a choice. You have to meet the consumer where they want. Mm -hmm. Employers, on the other hand, have leverage. Mm -hmm. There's only one problem here, though, is that we've already baked into the cake a permanent labor shortage because people have realized at an increasing level over a 60-year time span to having children in this economy is horrible to your finances. Yeah. We've seen, <laughs> yeah. we, you yeah. know, we've seen the birth rate go from 3.2 per couple to 2.9 and now it's like 1.8. Uh, our immigration, which uh, from the 80s until the early 2010s, legal immigration was creating half of our uh, population growth. That's fallen off a cliff. And if you just look at the shortages in hospitality, it's hard to get smart numbers on illegal immigration. 
I know a lot of people, it's a huge concern, but all the numbers seem to suggest that illegal immigration hit its peak in the early 2000s, never fully went back to previous levels after the Great Recession, and not that I'm supporting illegal immigration. I'm just saying mm-hmm. that we have a depleted worker pool. Now, when I look at the office market, though, okay, you're a manager. You have leverage. And having managed a large staff from afar during the pandemic, I think that there's a lot of misnomers. Uh, I think for one thing, I found that two-thirds of my staff lost all focus of separation between work and home and they outperformed. Like if you're in real estate research, you get gutted in, in downturns and we got gutted. Sure. Yeah. They were doing more work than ever. The only problem is the other third of my workers, I couldn't figure out what the hell they were doing. I didn't get them back. They <laughs> yeah, just disappeared yeah. into the yeah, ether. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, there's plenty of tools you can track productivity, even in jobs where maybe it's not deadline oriented, where it's just, did you get the report done or not? Right. However, here, here's the thing I look at, uh, that I think can't be ruled out. Worker isolation, depression rates, all these things, they've done nothing but climb since the pandemic. People are losing our socializing spaces mm-hmm. because of digital disruption. It's starting to reach. Just if you look at the number of neighborhood taverns in the United States and what's happened over 50 years, they, they've fallen by two thirds. And you might say, well, that's probably good. We're not just a bunch of drunks anymore hanging out at the bar. <laughs> but every category of where we have a third place. Yeah, to get together, right? Yeah. Yeah, that, that third place, you know, I, I mean, I always love the fact that the guy credited with being the father of the American Mall, architect named Victor Gruen, was a big proponent of that. And he gets invited out to this brand new suburb outside of Minneapolis in 1955. They just, mm-hmm. they, in fact, the Interstate Act hadn't even yeah, happened yet, mm-hmm. right? But but it was all about yeah. to blow up the suburbs. And he goes out there and he's like, this is a soulless place. There's the first place where people live. There's some of the second place, although mostly they just live in their cars. There's no third mm-hmm. place for us to commune. His initial designs for a mall, uh, half of it was the commercial side. The rest of it was dedicated mm. to social meeting space, the arts, uh, educational, library. Extremely mixed use. Now, mm, this developer goes, hey, thanks, Vic. I'm throwing out this half. We're going to build one anchor to one anchor and a big strip of commercial. Yeah, yeah. And, right, and, right. and that's what became the mall for right, years right. until, you know, now everyone's trying to recreate the mall based upon what he initially designed yeah. and a focus on meeting space. Right. When I look at the office space, what I see is a lot of lonely, disconnected workers that want autonomy. That if you are smart, you can lure many of them back into the fold. 
Mm-hmm. You cannot do this being heavy-handed jackasses. Yeah, yeah. If you think you're going to, in a labor market where we're still at 3.4% overall employment, and you're in tech, yeah. trouble. So I look at the market right now. I think there will be a great normalization that happens. And if I look at office users, first off, if you're a small space office user, a small professional building office user, chances are you're an older demographic, well-established in your field. And by the way, all polling shows that you're the ones that want to show up at the office the most. Yeah, that's right. Because it's been ingrained into us from birth, right? That's all we knew was you go to work every day and, you know, right? And, and yeah. even if you could economize on space, yeah. you can't give back much if you're a 5,000 square foot yeah. user. That's right. Now, the big challenge is, is going to be those large forefront users right. of highly skilled people who are going to balk at yeah. this and for whom you might not have leverage. Right. And if you expose too much leverage, frankly, you could be shooting yourself in the foot. To all of those, and I would say tech is at the forefront, lure the flies with honey, Mm -hmm. not vinegar. Mm -hmm. Remind them of the things that are actually real. The depression rates are real. The people needing a social interactions place are real. And all of those things, especially if someone's just saying, I don't want to be here five days a week, but the three days a week of collaborative time and then two days a week of get stuff done time at home. Right, right. Nobody has the tools to measure productivity like the tech guys to begin with. Yeah, right, right. And I'm not just talking about keystroke uh, measurements where, where you can tap into someone's work computer and you can see, oh, you know, these people are very busy. And by mm-hmm. the way, you know, if some of the keystrokes are insane, then you just know that somebody put a, a can yeah. of Coke on the, the turnkey. And... Right. right. <laughs> well, it's like the kids did during the pandemic for school, right? I mean, they put exactly. up a... Well, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Right. Uh, you know, how, yeah. how, how did I'm old here. James yeah. become a uh, 3,000 word a minute <laughs> typist? Uh, right, right. There are yeah. ways out of this yeah but you know the challenge is you know the office class is like a four trillion dollar yeah asset and and let's just assume okay let's let's just say that uh it's a three day a week model and you took five stories of space at a major cbd high rise and you realize, okay, we're going to consolidate space. We're going to get rid of the private offices, except for some of the C-suite that, mm-hmm. that need it. We're going to get rid of cubicles. We're going to have housing space, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. We still need meetings, the all-hands-on-deck right. meetings. Mm-hmm. Our ability to cut our footprint is maybe going to be 20%. Maybe. Yeah. Unless you want to like do something like there's a food hall downstairs and we'll just arrange our meetings to be there. But I don't see big corporations doing that. Yeah. Um, So this 
the space give backs are going to completely peak right. out this year for sure. It's going to be yeah. it's going to be an endless drumbeat of office apocalypse, like what I saw with retail for years. Right. Well, where, where, where I'm really seeing it affect, um, having an effect on an owner is when you've got a loan, let's say you've got, and a lot of these CMBS loans have this, where one or two or three of the top major tenants expire, their lease expires right around your maturity date. And your maturity date's in 23, 24. Well, capital markets are essentially frozen. Like what, what are you going to do? And you don't know, especially if the tenant and the maturity are in 24, so you can't get a confirmation from tenants that they're going to need the same space yet, you know, but all these decisions are being made and it requires some extension or something from a it's, CMBS. It's, it's, yeah. it's incredibly frightening. Like, like right. San Francisco, just, you know, I live up in Sacramento, yeah. but I'm down in mm-hmm. San Francisco all the time. They're already pushing, yes. uh, you know, a 30% vacancy rate. Right. And, and yeah, but what's what's really interesting is is you know there's a company that does the security fobs for uh, for office space called Castle, Castle Systems. Yeah, yes. yeah, yeah. Look at their data. Yeah, like, the two the markets that are not going back to normal are high tech mm-hmm. markets. It's San Francisco and San Jose mm-hmm. are at the bottom of their scale, both below forty percent daily attendance in office, whereas you know. The Texas markets from almost yeah, day worth. one stayed at sixty percent. Yeah, yeah. And, and and in New York was down to thirties, but it's climbing back. Um, to me, this is going to be highly selective on tech tenancy because that is where the leverage to get draconian with with your workers to come back in. It's the least amount of leverage. I mean, yeah, it doesn't exist. Yeah, yeah. Goldman Sachs could tell everyone get your ass back in the seats, but the average trader at Goldman Sachs makes four hundred thousand dollars a year. Yeah, yeah. Which kind of gives an incentive. Leadership. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right. That that makes a little difference. Who was it? It was Elon Musk, right? That was saying he was the first oh. one to come out and say. Uh, you butt in seat five days a week or else, you know. I, well, yeah, and then, yeah. And then immediately uh, a third of his employees quit on him. Yeah. And then, you know, he's got this headquarters uh, in downtown San Francisco where, where the people that showed up, he's trying to impress upon them that, you know, hey, sleep on the couch if you have to. Yeah. Yeah. And next thing you know, city governments like, you know, zoning you doesn't do really allow yeah. that. <laughs> right. uh, yeah. Right. I if I was advising Elon Musk, <laughs> I would advise him once again, not a radical theory, but yet you, you attract more flies with honey than with vinegar. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And the losses to the workers. Okay. Yeah. It, it's it's mostly people don't want to waste two hours a day in commuting time. Right. It's, right. It, it's mostly uh, wanting to have autonomy. But the levels of isolation and depression have absolutely gone up. Like, this is yeah. something. Remind people, work families yeah. are real. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Okay, this, mm-hmm. Yeah. With a crack the whip mentality like you're you're some sort of freaking 12 years of slave yeah. overseer 
You deserve yeah. the misery you get, if you yeah. ask me. I'm just well, saying there's smarter ways to do this. No, I agree with you 100%. I've always been more of the opinion that you get more flies with honey. Absolutely, too. And there is nothing like our work family. And I, I it is amazing how people are starting to see that you can't isolate yourself and do that for years and, and be healthy, you know, mentally, emotionally, or anything else. So I appreciate you bringing that up, Garrick. Look, we could, you and I, I'm sure could talk for hours and hours. There's so much to talk about in our space. I have so enjoyed this time with you and I appreciate all your insight. Um, is there any parting words? Uh, no, I, I'm going to ask you a question, a hard one before we leave, yes. before we log off. Um, so you had talked before about the the hundred people that are part of this. I'm sorry, I forgot the name of the that did this survey. The hundred really senior people that are part of the survey, and they talked about are we going to be in a recession or or oh the we NABE already? yes okay so so that's so, it's it's a coin flip. It, my it question really is, is what do you flip. think, Garrick? What do you think? Where's your opinion? Are you with them in the fifty what whatever you said fifty one percent or or do you feel it's different? Here's the challenge is that I don't think we're going to have one. However, the problem for our industry, not, not the economy as a whole, the problem for our industry is that not having a recession may be more problematic if we have a year of no or slow growth, the, the slow mm -hmm. session, the no session, than wow. actually having a bottoming out point Certainly on the investment side of the marketplace, because you already have this giant gap between bid and ask. You know, the, yeah. the buyers, they're expecting a recession. They want recession prices. The sellers are trying to cling mm. to hopes of yesterday. Mm -hmm. If we have an extended and protracted situation of just flat, for commercial real estate, it's bad. For the overall economy, it's good. Uh, I suspect it's going to be a no session, slow session, that we never technically tilt the scales into negative GDP and, and so forth, which will be good for the American worker, it'll be good for the consumer, it'll be good for the retail sector. But for commercial real estate, mm. especially transactional brokers, it's not good. Right. Wow. So I think we're going to title this when we send it out. I think the title of this is going to be I've never heard this said this way, but no session, slow session, or recession, right? There's three options here in a way. And we've talked about, you know, the effect on different uh, property types. And again, we could carry this on forever, Garrick, but I really appreciate your insight today. It's been invaluable. And I want to thank you again for joining the podcast. And it's, it's been a great pleasure. I'm happy to come on anytime. Instantly, can I, can I, um, can I plug Please. two things I'm speaking Please. Of? Okay. On March 7th in Los Angeles in the morning, uh, I am doing a uh, keynote speech at the Entertainment Evolution Experience show. Uh, and this is going to be about Gen Z, your next consumer, what to expect. And then weirdly enough, I booked something that same night in San Francisco that I'll be speaking at, <laughs> at, at the Care Group, which is a nonprofit that raises money for uh, underprivileged kids in the Bay Area. It's going to be a big thing on life sciences. 
uh, where I'm going to uh, share a brief economic update on life science properties. And uh, we've got a very special guest who, uh, who uh, a fatal diagnosis and whose life was saved by these new emerging technologies, one of them not even on the market yet, that, that I think mm. that, that the guests will find really intriguing. So and it's for a good cause. That puts things in perspective, and that's a great note to end on. And I hope everyone that hears this that's in that area can definitely uh, join. Thank you for thank you for sharing that. Thank you, Garrick. Thank you, Anne. Great talking to you.